What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski here as well. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good, man. Seems like uh, the free agency period is not quite over just yet. Yeah, I mean, you think that it's over, and there's this what seems to be the cherry on top with Kawhi and Paul George to the Clippers. And I guess actually you knew at that point Westbrook was likely going to move. A lot of talk was Miami. There was a little bit of Detroit thrown in there. And then, boom, traded for Chris Paul. Two draft picks, two unprotected firsts. I'm sorry, there is protections, but two firsts and two swaps for Chris Paul and Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. To me, I actually think that if you're just talking next season, that both teams got worse here. I mean, I just don't understand how Westbrook or James Harden is going to work off ball. They both just live with the ball in their hands and don't do anything when they don't have it on the offensive end. With Westbrook, I mean, people cheat off him nonstop because he sits there with his hands on his knees. Right. And yeah, they do the same thing with James Harden. It's it's not that big of a deal to have one player that's not playing defense on your on your team, but it's you know, two is really hard to hide. Um and the fit with Eric Gordon is a little bit weird. I saw someone talking about their starting lineup having Russ and uh, Harden and Eric Gordon, and that doesn't feel like a lineup that can guard any threes at all. Um, you got PJ Tucker and Clint Capella to round that out. And it's like, okay, so PJ Tucker's guarding, what is he guarding Kawhi and Paul George? Like, what are you going to really do about that? Yeah. And I know I said that I think both teams got worse I think in regards to, if you're looking at the playoff race with the Kings being involved, Houston is still a lock to make playoffs after this. Um, OKC though, I feel pretty confident putting them on the tier below Sacramento where they're not quite fighting for that eight seed anymore, assuming they don't hold on to Chris Paul, which it doesn't make sense for them to. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think that kind of what the trade did for Houston's perspective is that it raised their floor, uh, but kind of lowered their ceiling, where if everything's going right and Chris Paul was healthy uh, with with Harden and the Rockets, that was a team a team that could legitimately win a championship. And that feels less likely to me now. Yeah. But it, it also seems like that team is, there's no way they're missing the playoffs because even if, you know, even if Harden or Russ had some major injury, it still feels like that's a team that ends up, uh, in the, you know, in the playoffs no matter what. So, yeah, I mean, 
I don't know that they're actually worse. I, I, I think that we're, we're both being a little bit generous or callous with that statement, but it doesn't, there's, they have more problems to solve now than they did. Or at least when everyone is healthy, there's more to figure out. Um, they, they got a player that's almost certainly going to be on the floor more. So maybe that is helpful. But again, you've got two guys that don't like to play defense now. And you've got two guys that have insanely high usage. Like I think they're legitimately, you know, like top one or two or three in the league, um, in usage. Those guys have been like on that level for a while. So it's going to be hard to figure out how that all works out, but. I'm sure they're both happy to play together, and I have no doubt that Maury will put some pieces or more pieces around them, and maybe they'll bring back Shumpert or something like that. Just a guy that can play defense. Maybe they'll stagger them a lot so that, you know, one's always on the floor, and, um, you know, there's never a scenario where they don't have some major high usage uh, attacking uh, guard in the game. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. Just a last kind of point on it. I mean, we've never seen Russell Westbrook with this kind of spacing. So I think that's going to be one thing that'll be different. Uh, OKC was always lacking some shooters. And we know that's literally what Houston is covered with. Um, and actually, that talent even fell down a little bit. But it's going to be better than anything he saw in OKC. So maybe that helps his game a little bit. He can really thrive in that Clint Capello pick and roll. Right. It's kind of um, like what happens when a unstoppable force meets an immovable object yeah. where we've never seen Russ with that many shooters around him. And we've also never seen the Houston Rockets ran by such an inefficient shooter. So like which direction is this going to go? It, 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 uh, it, it's really hard to say which one will dominate the other, which like Russ just looks amazing with better spacing, or it could be that the rocket system doesn't work with, but yeah, uh, let's flip it over to OKC talking about them. This is as clear as day that they are definitely worse. Um, you know, I just don't believe in a 34 year old Chris Paul leading this team to the playoffs. Uh, especially when it seems pretty clear that he's not even going to be on the team. Um, it seems that OKC wants to move on from him as soon as possible already. I've seen reports about that, you know, being in the works. So I don't know if he's flipped for another pick. Maybe OKC gets their ninth first rounder of the week. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I'm more worried about OKC being a team that eventually comes to nip at the heels of Sacramento in the years uh, ahead. But I already felt like they were behind the Kings and um, for this upcoming year, it, it feels like that's just being cemented further. And, you know, it doesn't change that much from a Kings perspective. I think the Rockets were better than the, than the Kings. And I think that the Thunder were worse. And I think that is, is still the same. Yeah, agreed. I mean, really nothing feeling the other direction coming from me here. Um, I think that one interesting to me note to me was that Miami now saying that they want nothing to do with this Chris Paul contract when they were aggressively pursuing Russell Westbrook seems a little weird to me. Um, I understand that. Like my dad worded it to me that Westbrook is plateauing right now 
and CP3's already declining. And I think that's totally fair, but I like talking Miami specific, I think CP3 is a much better fit next to Jimmy Butler than uh, Russell Westbrook would be even right now at this point in their careers. So I think that this is a little bit of a chess game going on. Like you said, CP3 will end up on another team. Um, but I think for today's episode, we're planning on diving in and recapping a lot of the contracts that happen and comparing them to the ones that Sacramento signed this off season, right? That's right. Yeah. We just talked about two of the worst contracts in the league in Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul. And now, now we can transition to all the new contracts that were signed across the league and see if maybe we've got some candidates for some new bad contracts. But uh, basically what we did is um, throughout the last month or so, um, you and I worked on creating lists of, of, players at each position and how much we thought that they would get paid. Um, I will uh, say that I took the lead on this, so you don't have to take any of the brunt for some of the the shortcomings and mistakes that are on this list, which definitely there are. But there are a few where you, I think, rightly talked me out of or into a higher contract for certain players, but we'll go through it. Uh, basically, I think the point here is to survey the, the free agency landscape give a little bit of a recap and kind of look at what was available at what price and see how the Kings did through that lens. And also obviously the Kings players, the Kings free agents are in here as well. So we can compare the contracts of Joseph and Ariza and Deadman and Holmes to other players in, the, in their position. Yeah. And I think an important note is that next year's free agency class is, it's pretty garbage. Like, it, it, there's nothing exciting from it and 40% of the league was free agents this year so there was money to be spent and there were plenty of players available um and i think that showed a little bit in some of these contracts yeah definitely actually next year will be i think a lot harder to predict because there's going to be a really funky group of free agents and of course that'll evolve over the year guys will break out um and we'll see, you know, if, if another, if a star emerges, but right now it's looking pretty vacant. But so, you know, so I'll start us off with point guards here. And it's interesting because we went through a few versions of this at the time. And, uh, the, the version that I decided to keep was the one that we tweeted out. So you can go, if you're listening, you can go reference this, uh, on the Kings Pulse Twitter, uh, at Kings underscore Pulse. All those numbers are, these are all numbers we put out there, our best guesses. Um, but there were some earlier version, versions that felt on some of these guys, the early versions were actually something we should have stuck with. And then there were even some later tweaks that I made that, that I think were even better, but uh, up to the day of free agency, but I uh, kept the ones that we released about a week before. So we'll roll with that and uh, just go down the list. And basically what I, how I feel is if, if we were off by more than $3 million uh, on a yearly salary basis, that's a guy that I'm going to talk about. But if we were in that range, then it, it kind of feels to me like we, we kind of got it. Um, there'll be a, a couple extra little bargains we can throw in there or a little overpays, but for the most part, it's going to take a, a difference of about $3 million for me to feel like we got to talk about being way off. And, you know, for the most part, I'll also say I think we did a pretty good job. I, I think that there, 
the guys that we were off on, uh, that may be more <laughs> on the team than us. So we'll see about that. And, and there's definitely going to be a guy here in the point guard segment, uh, <laughs> that you are very familiar with that we were super off on. And that is not on us. It is on the Charlotte Hornets, but let's start just going down, um, uh, from the top. We had Kyrie and Kemba at Max's and, you know, pretty much true. Kyrie took a little bit of a pay cut to, uh, get his friend DeAndre Jordan some more money, but not worth really talking about that. Or if, if there is someone here you want to talk about, just stop me. But we also had D'Angelo at around the max. Uh, he got that. Patrick Beverly, we had, uh, pretty much in the wheelhouse there around 13 million. And then this is the first guy that, that we were off on. And I will say, I'll say that I, if I could have any of these contract predictions back, this is probably the one that I want back. Um, and I was way off on him. Uh, one of the, uh, the third of all the contracts, uh, predictions, the, the third most unpredictable from my perspective was this. It's, uh, Derek Rose, who ended up signing for only two years, 15 million. What are your impressions of that contract with the Pistons? I think that it works out fairly well for the Pistons. Um, it might be even a little bit much because I think that he can play that bench kind of spark plug role, but obviously you worry about his injuries. And last year he had a great year, but that was really hot shooting his start and regressed to the mean a little bit towards the end there. Um, did you have this, did you have this lower than what it is? I had it way, way higher. Really? Okay. Yeah. We started off with Rose around 12 and a half million. And then I brought it up to 15 million at the time we published these. And then I did, I will say I dropped it down to 10 just before free agency began, but I can't, I can't really claim that. There's no proof of that. So I got stuck at 15 million per year for Rose and that ended up being way too high. Yeah. Getting the exact same thing over a two-year time period. Yeah. And I think this is, for me to try to understand this, I think that I put too much emphasis on how well he played last year. Because if you go back before that, he was yeah. you know, a, a damn near minimum level guy. Um, and it's he's a hard guy to track because if you go back way before that, he was an MVP. So he's a, he's a tough one to get a hold of. But all in all, this guy is one of the best contracts. I think by my estimates, the, the best contract out there. And it's crazy to say, but I think that getting him for this price is actually a really good deal. I think it's actually a really sneaky signing for Detroit, who doesn't have a lot at the guard position. And if he gets kind of anywhere near the level of play, he was a legitimate six man of the year candidate, uh, for Minnesota. So if he gets any, if he plays anywhere near that level, I think he's actually kind of a steal. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize he put up 18 points a game last year. Like he, he really blew, blew up again. But again, I mean, 51 games the year before there were only 25 year before that 64. Um, he just, since that ACL injury has never been able to reliably stay on the floor. So it's a little risky to uh, lock up some money at him. I think that two year 15, I think it'll work out fairly well because, you know, if he does go down, say he only is going to see 50 games each year, 
then that that makes a little bit of a difference here too. It's a good point. Um, I suppose that I'm just looking at these other guys on this list. He feels to me, it's just surprising to me that guys like George Hill, uh, Thomas, Thomas Sadoransky, Dalon Wright, Tyus Jones, they all made more than him. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I think that, um, that's a really good way to look at it. And kind of the point of why we're doing this is gauging it compared to the rest of the league. And that makes me understand you here a little bit, uh, of it being a good contract. How do you feel like this compares to, and I feel like we can do this, uh, each position to this Corey Joseph contract that we saw the Kings go after a three year, 37 million. Yeah, absolutely. So I started Corey Joseph really high when we did this. I had him at 12 and a half million on our initial rankings when we went, you can go back to the podcast that we, we did, uh, on point guards almost a month ago now. Uh, that's where I had him originally. And then it felt like he just wasn't getting a lot of buzz. And so I kept dropping him down and I dropped him all the way to seven and a half million. Uh, now with the Kings, he signed for, he's going to be earning 12 million next season. So that's an overpay, uh, by my numbers here of four and a half million, which is significant. It's yeah. significant. And I think that it is that overpay. I don't think we necessarily guessed too low there. I think that your seven and a half range is probably about what his on court production value is. But to me, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you felt, but after we got Deadman, we got Ariza, and it was like, okay, the only thing we still need checked off is this backup point guard. And Corey Joseph is perfect if Beverly's off the table, which he clearly was. So it felt like, you know, this will top off the off season. This is the last piece that we need. So we threw a little bit more money at him and part of that Sacramento tax and completed a really well-rounded good off season. Yeah. And, and again, the Sacramento tax is a big thing here. Um, you'll see the other teams that had some overpays also aren't in great markets. Um, or maybe they are <laughs> if you're the Knicks, just not yeah. a great team right now. So there's a premium. So it's, it's not surprising to me. The other guys I had as overpays and maybe you'll see a trend here with the teams that they signed to Ricky Rubio yep. to the Suns. Uh, I had that as a over a six million dollar overpay. Um, I got Terry Rozier, obviously, to the Hornets, another really struggling franchise right now. I had that as nearly a twelve and a half million dollar overpay. Uh, and uh, Alfred Payton, eight million to the Knicks, that feels high to me. I had we had him in the five million dollar range. Yeah, as well as Tyus Jones, we had him around five million. And he signed for he's going to make almost almost ten million next year for the Memphis Grizzlies, so it's a little bit over nine. Yeah, the Tyus Jones one's interesting. Um, I am a big fan of his game, but that's a lot of money. And to me, if John Morant is your starting point, it feels like you'd want a veteran backup there. Um, there's it doesn't really make sense for Jones and Morant to share the floor all too often. Um. That one's interesting. I mean, it fits the timeline. What was your, did you have Brogdon around a $20 million mark originally, if I'm remembering correctly? So I have him in the shooting guard section 
Okay. But I will say this. We got him literally exactly to the dollar correct. So that's I that's pretty good. Considering I'm I'm using the salaries of the upcoming year, so it's not even yeah. necessarily the average salary. Some of these numbers are weird and you know, they're nine, ten digits long. Uh uh you know, they they're fractions of dollars and stuff. So yeah, Brogdon is making exactly twenty million next year, and we put him down at twenty million. So I think that's actually the only guy on in all five positions that we got to the to the cent correct. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, I understand the market being twenty million for him, kind of, but it, it does feel like a lot of money. I mean, he's only twenty six, obviously, still new to the league, but. I guess being able to do everything at 50, 40, 90 is a big deal. Um, it, it's just we've only seen him around one of these unstoppable forces of the most recent MVP in Giannis. So will he be able to perform that same way when he actually has more of a role rather than kind of catch and shoot and play defense on the other end? I, he does handle the ball a bit as well also. Yeah, so he's a good guy to to start off in the shooting guard section. Um, obviously we got clay right with the max, but he was our second guy and yeah, I mean, Indiana also paid a first round pick for him. So yeah, it's pretty wild. I know that he had been flagged for medical concerns coming out of the draft, an older rookie. I don't know how well this is going to hold up over the course of four years, but I, I mean, I don't know. And he's going to be a point guard now instead of a shooting guard, which, which is what he played, uh, you know, what he played in, in Milwaukee for the Bucks. So it's going to be a transition. Um, I think that they feel comfortable that he's an upgrade over Collison and Joseph at the position. But again, you know, if he can't stay healthy, I, I don't know if this is going to work out in the long run for them. They had a, the Pacers had a very, one of the one of the hardest to figure out off seasons, letting uh, Boyan go and bringing in Rogdon, bringing in Jeremy Lamb, also a guy high on our shooting guard list. It's interesting they brought in two guys that play shooting guard primarily. Uh, we actually had him pretty much dead to rights too. We put him at ten million, and he'll be earning ten and a half. Yeah, which I think is good value for Lamb. I think that he can play that starter role while Oladipo's gone, and then when Depot comes back can play a little bit of a six man and work out all right there. I just don't know how much better I think the Indiana really got. Um, I guess I like some of their pieces better. This Brogdon contract worries me though. Um, I, I just think that $20 million worth of production doesn't seem like what you're getting from Brogdon. I mean, he'll have a bigger role. So it'd be interesting. Um, one of the interesting ones for me was JJ Reddick going to the Pelicans. It was a two year, 26.5 million. And I believe we had him a lot higher thinking he was just going to see a one year contract like he had been doing recently with Philly. On, I think we, we threw out maybe 15 or 12 and a half earlier on, but on the final numbers, we put him at 10 million. Okay. So that is a little bit on an overpay. And I actually, that holds up to me. I think that is for a guy who's 35. Uh, that feels a little bit rich. I don't know. I, am I crazy? It does. But at the same time, the Pelicans 
are practically the Lakers roster from last year. And we know how desperately they needed shooting and a really good veteran. I mean, JJ is just one of those guys that fits really well. Uh, So I think that it is a little bit more money, but the Pelicans had money to spend. And he's just one of those guys that fit what they were looking for. Absolutely. That's another big factor in this is, you know, did a team that had a bunch of money to spend view this player as a need? And that's what a lot of these came down to. Uh, Danny Green, I'll also mention we got pretty much spot on. I have him as making 14.6 next year, but really that's an ascending descending thing. So we had him at 15 million. He got 30 over two years. So we can take that as a big win. Um, yeah. also had Rodney Hood as a little bit of a bargain. We had him at seven and a half. He went for, uh, just under six. Uh, we got KCP pretty much bang on. Of all the positions, I think we had the best grasp on shooting guard, pretty much nailed KCP, Jarrett Temple, uh, Garrett Temple. Uh, Wes Matthews was probably the biggest bargain out of this whole bunch going for the minimum to the Bucks. Yeah, and I actually think that's going to be a halfway decent Brogdon replacement. For for the money difference, uh, Wes Matthews is still going to be able to play some defense and hit some threes. I think that he'll help, uh, he'll probably be in a, some closing lineups for Milwaukee in place of Brogdon. And I still think that'll work out fine for them. He might be in the starting lineup for Milwaukee. Yeah. Seriously, I, I mean, I think that's what they're going to end up doing is Bledsoe, Matthews, Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke. Yeah, I think it makes sense. And I'm totally comfortable with that too if I'm Milwaukee. I think that Wes Matthews is still a quality player. It's an interesting meditation on the small market here because what the the interesting thing here is that Milwaukee can't replace Brogdon ever, right? That's that's pretty much how this is gonna go. There's never gonna be a scenario where they can bring in a player at Brogdon's level, uh, considering their cap concerns, their luxury tax concerns, uh, they're going to have to, you know, they saved a ton of money. They saved over $80 million in order, you know, and got a pick from this. And now they're rolling with a guy who's just $1 million, uh, you know, $1,600,000. And they're going to have to roll with kind of vets, kind of hope that Giannis can bring in those elite role player types to fill the role. But it's, if that is a step down, if it's a significant step down in play that, you know, basically the bucks just said we could be the title favorites, but we would rather save 80 million over the next four years. Interesting. I get what you're saying. I just don't think that it's a huge difference. I think that, I mean, it's definitely a fall off from Brogdon to West Matthews, but I don't feel like Brogdon had this, this big role. I guess he was the glue guy at times, and that uh, is a big factor. I just think that Milwaukee is still probably the favorites in the East. And once you get to the finals, I mean, they're going to have a chance at winning it there, whether Brogdon or Wes Matthews for me. Brogdon did everything right, and he was young. And I just think that I think that it's a bigger fall off than you're leading on, but I think that your point is very valid that it's not an, you know, a $79 million fall off. Yeah. And one of the contracts that they did give out was kind of expected here. It's a five year, $178 million for Middleton, which I think is, uh, 
not quite his value of 35 million uh annually i do, i know that's not exactly what first year number is but you you kind of just you had to keep this around it's the same thing we were talking about i mean Giannis is going to come up he was their second all-star even if he maybe isn't quite an all-star level player fully um Milwaukee really just had to extend this money to Middleton it felt like yeah it did and you know we got to remember that Giannis only has I uh, believe two years left on that deal so if yeah. if they don't if they don't show Giannis that they're willing to put the pieces around him, then he's probably, he could be Anthony Davis, you know, by the end of, not even the end of this year, you know, I mean, depending on how, how things go, um, this would be, you know, this December would be in the timeline of where Anthony Davis started to say, Hey, I don't have the pieces. You're not doing enough. Uh, you know, trade me. Yeah, so, but what we've seen from Milwaukee has been a little bit different than the Pelicans, though, with how far they've been able to go and just seeming happy on that team from what we can tell. For sure. Um, I don't think it's that different. I, you know, other than an East-West thing, the Pelicans went yeah. to the, you know, they won a playoff series against the Portland Trailblazers. Uh you know, a couple of seasons back and this, it considering the timeline, it lines up to where, you know, the Bucks got to the second round and just kind of were outgunned and they came back and, and in this scenario, things would have to go very sideways. Um, but yeah, it, obviously this is not the path that they're on, but say Middleton really underperforms. So there's a rift in the locker room and Brogdon's not there to stabilize it. Uh, you know, say Brooks starts to fall off a little bit with age. Say Wes Matthews isn't the starter level guy that they thought that he would be or the six man level guy they thought that he would be. Bloodsoe could underperform. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm pitching here that the Knicks could say, Hey, you know, we got two max slots in 2021 and Giannis, like we're going to send out a Clippers level, uh, you know, scouting package to all your games and a rec- recruiting <laughs> team to, to follow you everywhere you go. It's not out of the realm of possibility for me, but absolutely that's the reason that you pay Middleton 178 million. And yeah, yeah I mean, it, I, it was the reason to consider Brogdon, um, at that, at that level. Agreed. Another small forward that was interesting. You mentioned him leaving Indiana was, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. He ended up with a four-year, $73 million contract on Utah. Um, that was one of the more surprising moves to me. I think it makes sense for Utah to get a little bit of shooting. Uh, $18 million, I mean, I can get behind that if it was a two-year, but towards the end, that third, fourth year, I feel like that's going to feel like a lot of money for him. So I actually have this as a nice contract. I have this as a $3 million uh, below-market contract, but that's just for next year because it is yeah. – an ascending deal. And you're right that the third and fourth year feel, feel rough on that. But at the same time, this, could this be a market thing? Utah's not really a destination. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think that compared to what else was available, say they wanted to go get a three. I don't know that, you know, we certainly didn't have anyone else on their level. You, you could say maybe they go get Terrence Ross, who's, you know, more of a, a more of a shooting guard, small forward, more of a true wing than a forward. They could have tried to 
put something out there to Kelly Oubre. Uh, but we had him on the lower level, and it ends up that Oubre uh, is the biggest overpay here from from my perspective, from our perspective. Do you do you still agree with that? What did we have Oubre at? Didn't he end up with a two-year 30? Yeah, we had him at 10. So, you know. About okay. a five million dollar overpay this year. Not a. This isn't a. This isn't like a Rozier level yeah. overpay. Yeah. So we were a little more spot on with these, and even then, I mean, I I think that getting him for two year fifteen is totally fine from Phoenix's point of view. Um, I guess maybe you could have gone a little lower because the market had completely dried up. He signed really late, but I don't hate it from Phoenix's point of view. I don't like the Rubio contract. Uh, we touched on that a little bit, but it's one of those filling needs. What did you think of uh, of Jimmy going to Miami? And we kind of were expecting him to get this max contract. Thought it would be from Philadelphia, possibly, but ended up in Miami on a four year one forty. Uh, so this is I had him at a max player level. Yeah. I had him at a max deal, and that's I'm not gonna waver from that. I think that he deserves this money. The problem is that they also gave up Josh Richardson for him, so. That's where it becomes like, you know, they didn't improve on the level that you would signing a max player. Yeah, it seemed like Pat Riley realized he had an opportunity to get kind of the guy to lead the heat and just jumped on it. But giving away what probably was their best player to do so. And this is kind of why I feel like they they should end up with Chris Paul that it makes sense for them to go with it because this Jimmy Butler situation puts you in pretty much decided you're going win now right now because you gave him you gave him that contract he's got a little bit of age to him and it's not gonna um it's not gonna bode well with time so I feel like you have to go all in right now and I guess if you can manage to get a talent like Chris Paul, who I still think is a very good player for right now, um, then it makes sense for Miami to go for that, I feel like. Yeah, look, your books are destroyed. Your books are garbage. You've got no picks for yeah. years. Just go all in and have your two guys and you know, tell them that uh, we don't care how, how well you get along or don't get along. You're, you guys are the heat for the, in the next four years until we start drafting the first round again. So, you know, Shut up and deal with it. We've got you for three years under contract and, and you're going to, this is the team that you're on and go enjoy life in South Beach and, you know, get us the eighth seed, whatever. Like we're not tripping that hard. We're not trying to compete, but we got to be in the playoffs every year. Uh, and other than that, yeah, I, I think that's the way to go. Um, and looking at some other guys here in the small forward position, uh, we got a couple kings. Uh, we got Harrison Barnes and Ariza. I had both of these guys at uh, about a two and a half million dollar overpay per year. And that lines up for me with what we're thinking as far as the effect of the Sacramento tax, of the small market tax. And it also lines up with Terrence Ross, who I felt was also paid about two million five hundred thousand dollars too much to stay in Orlando. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, 
chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, I mean, if Sacramento's paying two, three million more to each one of their free agents this offseason, like filling every hole that we were looking for and we know that they needed, it's totally a success. And I feel like that's exactly what happened this year. Um, I have no complaints with the Barnes contracts. The four years of it is totally fine. He's 27 years old. Uh, you need that small forward. And he's our guy that's going to be able to, or I mean, we'll see how well he's able to do it, but we're going to throw him on the likes of Kawhi, LeBron James, and those type of players having a good small forward. He was the perfect fit. And then Ariza, um, we've said it. I mean, I was preaching that I really wanted a veteran. It's exactly what Ariza is, a 12-year vet, 100-plus playoff games, a championship ring. And it is a little bit of an overpay, like you said, two years, 25. But there's also a non-guaranteed on this second year. Um I feel like that was a pretty good deal for Vlade and the Kings. Yeah, for sure. These are both great deals. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I just mentioned that there are slight overpays, but again, I think what I'm kind of learning here by doing this exercise, which has been really helpful and really educational is that the swing is about $5 million. It goes from, you know, if you're a contender in a big market, expect to get, about a two and a half million dollar discount on each year. And if you are uh, a non playoff team in a, in a not big market, or at least, you know, you haven't, if you haven't been the playoffs in 13 years and you're in the fourth biggest city in California or what have you, <laughs> uh, fourth biggest basketball, uh, market in California, then yeah, I expect to pay an extra two and a half million. So to me, this lines up as a proper payment for the context agreed i got no issues with anything uh sacramento did here and i guess if we're moving on to power forwards there was nobody really there that sacramento really needed necessarily i mean we know there's there's bagley there's belly giles is playing that a little bit also we'll play barnes at the four a little bit we dived into those rotations a little bit there um i mean the king of the power forwards this year was was the knicks julius randall Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis just got stole Marcus Morris from the Spurs. Like, what is the thought process here? I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> One of the, I think my third worst overpay of of all the positions, or fourth worst. Well, you know, one was Rozier, two was Rubio. Three was a guy we'll get to in a second at the center position. And the fourth mm-hmm. one, and this one's hard to do because he is, it was still a low contract. I thought Taj Gibson was a horrendous, horrendous overpay at nine million. Yeah. I think it's just New York having money and part of getting that veteran on the team. I mean, they're extremely young and he's, he's a power forward. They're going to play him at the center. Right. They will. Um, or they'll do whatever they damn well please, I guess. It's a confusing situation with them. But yeah, uh, I had Taj Gibson as my fourth biggest overpay, and my fifth biggest was, was Bobby Portis, a guy that you also mentioned as a power forward to the New York Knicks. 
Yeah, I just don't, I, I don't understand. I mean, Portis and Julius Randle, both are fours. I mean, Randle can play the five a little bit, but that's what you got Gibson for. Um, and a lot of these guys are mid-range shooters. Like we, I got to you a little bit saying Marcus Morris stepped away from that a little bit. There's a lot more threes, but these are just all shot creators that like to take a couple dribbles and throw up a mid-range look. Like I don't really see it for New York. I will say I like, uh, some of their other moves. Like they got, uh, wow, I'm totally drawing a blank. There's a shooting guard they got that, uh, that I like the move. Who is this? Ellington. There you go. Yeah. I thought Ellington was okay. And they got a little bit of spacing there. I mean, I guess just trying to keep a little bit of positive for the Knicks. Uh, Randall has some upside. You talked me into that $20 million range. Uh, I actually, right after you got signed, you were practically, and I told you so text straight to me. Totally yeah. fair. <laughs> um, I had to, I had to stand my ground on uh, on Julius Randle getting getting paid but it's fair. It's interesting we we moved past shooting guard before we got to the very bottom but I actually I actually had Ellington as one of the most egregious overpays too and you know the theme developing with the Knicks uh is pretty clear but Ellington we had him in like the 3 3 to 4 million dollar range and he got about 8 million that seems like okay. I mean he 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 barely didn't, he barely even played for Miami yeah. last year. I, okay. Yeah. I got to take that back. I did not realize. Yeah. You're 7.8 is what I'm seeing. That definitely is an overpay, but that's the type of guys I would have liked to see New York go after instead. Um, some players that know their role and can shoot a little bit and you just got to roll with the young guys. Like I, I can get behind the Julius Randle. I like that one, but then, I mean, like we said, all these power forwards, you start crowding it after it's just. Like they had money to spend, striked out, and had to do something with it. Right. That is what seems to have happened here. Um, it is it, – maybe everyone here just kind of got inflated by – I mean, when you got no one on your team and you got $65 million in cap space, you might as well just sign whoever you really <laughs> feel like. I mean – it's there's no rhyme or reason to it. I do believe that the Julius Randle signing is totally fine. Um, it's absolutely fine to me for him to get paid 18 million next year, 24 years old, putting up 20 and 10, like that type of guy. Got a little bit of an improved shot from the outside. That's promising. Uh, just obviously going to be a hard worker. The question is on on defense for him, but that's totally fine for a team that is content to tank and you know, being the lottery again, it doesn't bother me. Uh, it's confusing how their roster will shake out. It's like a weirdly deep team, but it's deep in overpaid guys that all yeah. play the same position. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't know really what's going on there, but, but you know, I'll say that they're going to be fine. I, I mean, the Knicks will be fine. Or they'll more accurately they'll they'll continue to be able to be fine, and then they'll continue to screw up screw it up as long as Dolan's in charge. But the the flexibility is there. They probably can make some trade. They'll probably be making a lot of trades. I think that they'll probably flip a lot of these guys um, mid season to contenders. They can yeah. sign whoever they want next season. They can sign whoever they want. Really can sign whoever they want or whoever's willing to go to New York the season afterwards, but 
I'll I'll finish up the the power forward position with a couple other uh, bargains here. I thought a guy that left the Knicks actually was a bit of a bargain here. Noah Vonley uh, only going to make two million next year. I thought he could have made five. Yeah, I see that, and there's there's some potential there for him too. I thought that yeah, th- that was a nice pickup. I mean, there's some there's some ones towards the end here that I think turned out okay. Um, Mike Scott, you kind of talked me up. I think that you had his range about right. He ended up with two years, almost ten million dollars. Um, there's some there's some interesting fours here. Some guys that are practically previously threes also. Um, just this wing position. So there, there's guys at the end that interest me a little bit. And even at the top, like we didn't mention Tobias Harris, a five-year, $180 million contract. Um, it's a lot of money, but we've talked about how we liked Harris. Um, it, it There weren't any major things that blew me away here, aside from New York just trying to get all the fours. Yeah, I think that Minnesota kind of emerged as emerged to me as a team that made some nice signings with the very very little space that they had. Um, they grabbed like the three guys that they grabbed that feel like decent values were, you know, very low uh, dollar amounts for Noah Vonley, uh, uh, Jake Lehman, and and yeah, a guy that we can we can transition into the center position. I like Jordan Bell quite a bit, and they got him uh, right at the minimum. Yeah, and you know, and interestingly, I think that part of the reason he was willing to go there was more opportunity, because I believe uh, the Warriors could have gave him that minimum. I guess it might be a little bit high for them, but uh, getting a little bit more opportunity, and then right after they signed Noah Vonley, which he is a four, but I think he even could play some five minutes, even though he's a little bit undersized. Um so I'm interested to keep an eye on how Jordan Bell, uh, the amount of opportunity and minutes that he sees, and they got Jarrett Culver in the draft. I think that Minnesota's new management, Gerson Rosas, uh, is really heading that team in the right right direction. And then, of course, they got a little uh, screwed out of Tyus Jones by Memphis offering, like we said earlier, nearly $10 million. Right, and when we zoom out a little bit uh, to the, the draft night trade with Dario Saric, that's a nice move to go from Dario Sarch and what was it? Pick 13 or pick 11. Yeah. 11, uh, 11. And then they moved up and got turned that into Jarrett Culver and then replaced Sarich with Vonley and bell at, on minimums. Basically. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty crafty move. Agreed. I think that they're doing it the right way and losing Jones doesn't really hurt because I mean, you think that Culver is a ball handler going to play a little bit of that second unit point guard. Um, you got Shabazz Napier still, Jeff Teague. Um, I like what we saw from Josh Kogi last year and in this summer league. I think they're going to be fun. They're, they're making the right moves now. Um, being stuck with that Wiggins contract is going to hurt, but Kat's in that same sort of situation as Giannis where you have a year or two left, it really feels like, before he could start getting a little uneasy and uncomfortable maybe wanting out of Minnesota if they don't uh, at least make a dent in playoffs. I will say that I'm legitimately growing nervous about Minnesota because... I have o- been telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you, Yeah, you do like that team, and I... It's these little moves that scare me. It's like 
Yeah. It's like the, uh, you hear, like, it's like the ripples in the water, but then you, you wonder what lays beneath. Like when these little things happen, you kind of hear like the footsteps of Godzilla and you wonder if they're about to come around the corner. Uh, because yeah, these little moves are smart. And I'll tell you what, if they end up getting D'Lo from Golden State, yeah. uh, which they obviously have machinations of doing, that is going to be a very dangerous team. And it's a team that could really, really play, uh, spoilers for the Kings on that eight seed. If, if they put it together at the deadline, grab D'Angelo Russell, pair him with Cat, a Kogi Covington, uh, step up as defenders on the wing. Yeah. And then these, these little moves, like you, like, you know, I mentioned, uh, I, I like Shaz Napier quite a bit. Vonley Bell. Yeah. Layman, I think these guys are, are really good to have at their very cheap price. And, you know, it's the type of thing where they could even they could even find a way to get Wiggins off the team, give up a ton of picks to do it, uh, or maybe someone will view him as a neutral asset. And then they they if they're making moves like this, they don't really even need to draft well. If they manage to find Culver, uh, you know, Von Ley, Bell, and, and these types of pieces for nothing really, for Saric and a you know, and a, and a couple million bucks. Yeah, I've seen the same thing. If it makes sense to not rule them out of getting D'Lo yet. Uh, he could be a temporary thing in Golden State until they're healthy again. And someone like Covington on a nice deal of about eleven million over uh, eleven million annually over four years uh, would be a really good fit if they were getting back to a championship contender level in Golden State and. I could totally see that happening and it puts Minnesota in a really nice spot, a nice young core moving forward. Um, and what I think is one of the best centers in the league already is only 23 headed in the right direction. You mentioned your five worst contracts and you skipped over what I believe was your fourth saying we were going to get to it. And I was pretty confident that that has to be the DeAndre Jordan four year 40, right? Actually, it's not. And let me make an amendment here. It's actually my second worst contract. Okay. And trigger warning Celtics fans. Oh, God. It's Al Horford. But, okay, you were also saying that you uh, would have been good with Sacramento paying this money, right? Yes, I would have been fine with it. Uh, It was not my ideal choice. I would have rather had these other deals, but... I'm sorry, that is far too much money to pay a guy who's going to be 36 by the time this contract is up. 37. Yeah. I mean, this is, that's too much money, dude. I'm, I'm telling you right now. Uh, we had him down as 20 million. And perhaps, you know, we can look at it as a ratio thing. So it's not necessarily like this is that much worse. It's not that it's an $8 million overpay. Uh, flat out, it's like, you know, a whatever percentage, it's a, you know, 40% overpay, um, and compared to some of these guys that were like Taj Gibson, I think was paid more than double. It's like a 150% overpay, that type of thing. But yeah, this is too much money for Al Horford. Uh, and it's really going to look bad at the end of this, uh, at the end of this deal, in my opinion. I, I mean, look, You've got to agree with me to some degree if you believe in your Celtics because they were unwilling to pay this money to him. Oh, yeah. I think that that's why you're exactly right. I mean, especially looking at that fourth year, from what I had heard, Boston was willing to give him three years, uh, maybe in like that 90 million range. And 
or I'm sorry, that that's a little too high there. But yeah, I mean, it, it, the fourth year, once you're hitting that 37 mark, I've said I do think his game will age well. Uh, but it is, it, it's going to be a lot. And I know that I believe his last year is half guaranteed. And then the rest is, is incentives based on, uh, if they make the finals or anything like that. It's all win based incentives. Uh, that's, it, it's interesting. This is your second highest, but I can come around to it, especially, I mean, 28 million in the first year. And it's not like this is one of those guys that's necessarily a perfect fit. Unless Philly feels differently, and I know Horford likes playing the four more than the five, but he probably is best at the center position, and you have what is likely the best center in the game already in Joel Embiid. It's really confusing, and you say that his game will age well. I will argue that his game is currently aging well. Like That's, it's not, yeah. it's not a thing that will eventually happen. He's, you know, he's essentially Chris Paul's age. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. But, you know, at the same time, you're right. It, it is aging well. So, you know, it's not, it's not a Chris Paul situation where he's falling apart. Uh, Horford is, you know, he's a much healthier guy. He doesn't need the speed that a guard needs. Like you don't, he doesn't really need to turn the corner on defenders in the way that Chris Paul does. He doesn't need to put the strain on his hamstrings. Uh, Horford doesn't really need to get vertical to do what he does best. Uh, You know, just being in the right place, sliding his feet, uh, making the right pass. That's all stuff that he can do. He can still shoot it from the outside. He can still, you know, make those tough plays uh, in the post. He can still, you know, he's crafty. It's, It's not really about finesse or agility for him. It never really has been. Uh, so he will age well. He will continue to age well. But yeah, this is a bad contract. And and I forgot that there was a, a partial guarantee in that last year. So that might save them a little bit. But I think that this, especially with the Sixers who have a max player in Embiid, have a max player, uh, they signed an extension with Ben Simmons. Yeah. Uh, they signed Tobias Harris to a five-year max as well. So you got three max guys. Uh, you brought in Josh Richardson on a, who's on a nice, uh, a really nice value contract, just about $10 million. That's saving their, that's, that's saving their asses right now. But you're essentially got four guys that are making over 28 million now. Or I suppose by the time that Ben Simmons kicks in, it'll be four guys making about 26 million. That's a lot of money. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Horford becomes the, the bad contract of this bunch yeah. as soon as next, not this upcoming season, but the following season. I could see that. You know, do you feel like this reminds you of almost the Marcus Saul a little bit? Like the contract he's on right now of like 20 million, but not having that amount of value. And, he, and this is even higher than that. Yeah. Well, this was kind of the deal with it. Remember, a few years ago, everyone thought that Horford's deal was going to be really bad Yeah, this year when he had his player option. Um, do you remember what that I, – I can't quite remember. I think it may have been 25 or 30, it was 30. Was it not for this year? It was 30. So that felt like an overpay. And then when he, when he decided to pass on that for more money, um, yeah, I mean, I think honestly this is – Probably it's probably a good thing for Boston that the two guys that were overpaid by the most by our guesses were 
guys departing the Celtics, they weren't willing to give Horford, you know, a hundred million and Rozier 60 million. And, and <laughs> I mean, uh, good job, like good job on that front at least. Yeah, I guess good job not being, not being idiots. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I mean, this Horford thing was like, I, I just, every time that I've talked about this recently and had to bring up Horford to Philly, I, I just try to pass on it and not talk about it because I saw him in a blue jersey the other day and I broke down crying. I, I just can't, like, this is, <laughs> this is the weirdest thing to me out of the off season. Yeah, understandable. But, uh, switching back to the Kings side of things, uh, the team that I think will eventually steal your heart, Brendan, is, uh, <laughs> the Dwayne Dedman signing. We actually had this pretty much spot on. Uh, by the time this was published, I think we started him a little bit lower, but by the time this was published, I had him at 15 million. And so this turns into an actual little bit of a deal here, uh, making 13 and a third. Yeah, and this was not because necessarily Deadman's a $15 million a year player, but the bigs that were on the market, um, aside from a Max guy and like a Vucevic, it felt like Deadman and Brooke Lopez were the medium level guys that would be able to do everything. So you expected them to get a little bit more money because there would be a high want for them. And Sacramento getting Deadman right at 3 p.m. when the deadline started for a little less than what I think. Uh, I think if he was able to test the market, Sacramento would have had to pay even more. Uh, seeing him commit to Sacramento so quickly and getting this good deal, um, I-, I could not be more happy with the Deadman signing. Fits everything. He'll play our starting center, and I'm very comfortable with that. Fits absolutely everything. On our center uh, preview, our free agency center preview, we did say three years, 40. That was the price that we we guessed for him at the time. We nailed that exactly. And for the Kings to get that deal and to get it with a partial guarantee on the third year, that's you know for me that's a that's an A plus job by the Kings. And I think this is the the signing that they hang their hat on. Um, we mentioned Joseph, a uh, little bit of an overpay. Uh, Barnes, a little bit of an, you know Joseph, maybe the biggest overpay. Barnes and Ariza slight overpays. Uh, but yeah, this is on the money for me and probably a little bit of a value considering the market and everything. Yeah. And I think of after being scared of like a two year, $40 million for DeAndre Jordan, that just made this even better. And DJ did end up with four years, 40. Like if you look at the rest of the market, uh, this Deadman deal, it works out pretty well. And Deadman was, you know, when we went through our free agent uh, walkthroughs, we, Gave three contracts at the end. Deadman was one of those. He was our second guy. Corey Joseph was one of those. I believe he was also our second guy behind Patrick Beverly. And I think I had Trevor Ariza as my third one in small forwards. He was one of the considerations. I mean, the Kings didn't get any flashy names or anything, but they checked every box and with players that do exactly what you were looking for. I mean, a defensive minded point guard a good three and D veteran presence wing. And you got a center that was just on the highest pace team in the league in Atlanta. He shoots the three, he rim protects. Uh, it's, I mean, it felt perfect. And we didn't even mention, we still have Rashawn Holmes too, for even more depth to your $10 million contract. And that clogs up the center position a little bit more, some of this front court. Uh, but having that versatility and, 
being able to use home save, Giles goes down, or situationally, like we talked about, um, I, I was just very happy, and we've said this a couple times, with how the entire offseason and free agency played out for Sacramento. Yeah, absolutely. And we had Holmes right on the money. Uh, it's a fair-valued contract. We actually nailed a ton of the big men because we got we, we thought that a lot of them would be available and end up signing around the room mid-level about $5 million, and we, we were right about that for a lot of them. Uh, Ed Davis, we got that. Rashawn yeah. Holmes got that. Looney was uh, not on the room mid-level, but at that same price. Robin Lopez, we got uh, over at back at Power Forward. We got Mike Scott and Jermichael Green. So all those guys basically right on the money in that $5 million range. JaVale went for four. But there's one guy on here that I had as my second biggest bargain, or at least... The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So, you know, listen, you've done this twice and and I wish that I agree with you in my heart that DeAndre Jordan is the bigger overpay than Horford. And that's because of the length, the four years for Jordan, we had no idea that was coming. We thought it was one year. We had him at seven and a half million, but we, we were clear that it was like a one year deal. So him going for 10 is like a mild overpay in the way that I've calculated it, but it's an insane overpay throughout the life of the contract. And then you're doing the same thing now where I had cousins. I felt like cousins deserved a significant deal, could even get multiple years. But there's another guy, a uh, King-related guy, a center, a former King center that we talked about that went for – the biggest bargain of, of anyone in this position and outside of the Derek Rose contract that I mentioned earlier was signed for the, the cheapest amount, the, the biggest savings of anyone that I had imagined, the biggest bargain out there. You know what I'm talking about now, right? Yeah, which is so weird, dude. Like at the beginning of the year, like I'm trying to get my money and then a minimum contract in Golden State and him talking about how excited he is to be in Golden State, uh, kind of daydreaming about it previously He's like, what are you gonna do when I'm when I'm rib running and uh, and Steph and Clay are on the perimeter? How are you gonna guard me? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, dude, this is so weird. Like, it's the most unexpected twist. And uh, Golden State's play style is gonna be really different. I mean, you're gonna see D'Angelo Russell and Willie Cauley Stein pick and rolls. Those oh sound like God. two of the most like players you would just never expect to end up on Golden State. I don't know what is happening. Yeah, this Golden State Warriors team is fully in the upside down right now. Uh, yeah, I, I am continuing to grow more and more tired of the Willie Cauley-Stein stuff, and I'm not going to get on his case personally. But, man, I, I read another article by a friend of the show, uh, Jason Jones, who he wrote – 
he, he talked to Willie about the money thing and, and he asked him, you know, about the, the whole process of thinking he'd get paid and, and ended up taking essentially the minimum. And he asked him about how fans, you know, uh, Willie had talked a lot about how he felt the fans didn't, didn't like him, didn't want him to be here anymore. And, you know, he asked a big part of it was the, the question that Jones asked was about, you know, well, uh, how do you react to the fans not liking you talking about money and all that stuff? And he said, I believe Willie's quote was, you know, I don't really understand it. That's what this league is about. It's about getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, bro. <laughs> and then he was like, and know, winning. Dude. And yeah. Winning. But yeah, I was and, like, uh. Right. But you know, to, to say that's what this league is about, getting paid, like, that is not what this league is about. No. No one, and even if you do believe that, no one else is going to actually say it. <laughs> and so, you know, this is why you don't get paid, dude, is because you don't have the basic awareness to be like, you know, I, I, you know, even when the microphone's in my face, I'll say that, you know, this league's about working hard and winning and being my best self and, you know, yeah. helping the team and, and bringing championship to the city. I don't know what to, to say anymore. It, it's it's frustrating. I genuinely do wish him the best. I genuinely do hope that, you know, Golden State can turn it around. I, I'm glad that he still expresses love towards Sacramento, that he says he wants to come back to the city the rest of his life, you know, from time to time, that he loves it here. Love that. You know, I'm sure he's an awesome dude, but I just think that he doesn't quite understand that talking about money so much is just a bad look. Yeah. And I mean, just again, from Fitwise and Golden State, I, I had mentioned Houston a lot as a place where I thought maybe he'd learn to accept his role a little bit and be able to really have an impact doing that. Golden State, um, originally, I was thinking that their culture would be a very big deal for him. And like, just imagine the first time that Willie Cauley-Stein completely misses a rotation on defense and just doesn't care and Draymond chews into him. Uh, I think that that could break into him, but I mean, thinking about it a little more, like the culture of Golden State has kind of disappeared this year. Like we mentioned, guys that you would never expect to see in Golden State because they didn't fit that culture are now there in players like D'Lo, Cauley Stein. There's not the same ball movement uh, feel to this team. And obviously, you know, it's the same coaching staff. It's the same core of guys minus KD. Um, but losing Igudala and Sean Livingston, I feel like those are going to be really big blows on how this team performs. So hopefully, uh, that he can get convinced. Collie Stein can alter his perception of what he is as a player a little bit and accept that role. I think that Golden State has a good chance of getting him to accept that because I think that he might have had more money somewhere available for him, but it seemed like he just really likes the idea of Golden State. So maybe that makes it a little bit easier to buy into not taking these uh, off the dribble pull up mid ranges. He probably had a slightly larger contract somewhere, but for a guy that is obviously thinks that this league is all about Getting paid, I <laughs> struggled to believe that he had that much of a bigger offer That's because fair. he would have taken it very obviously. That's yep. what he's been saying the whole time, so I'll take him at his word there. But, you know, yeah. rounding out the centers here, um, I actually thought the last guy on my list, Thomas Bryant, I had him 
in the three to four million dollar range. He went for eight. So I see that as a little bit of an overpay. Again, not surprising that it's coming from uh, the Wizards, who you know teams that struggle, they got to pay their players more to stay. I I think that I was off also a little bit off there. I, if I could redo this, I'd put him at five million. But but yeah, I uh, I think that we did a pretty good job here. We were right on way more players than we were wrong about. But um, I thought that to close this out, I would just run back through. Uh, and, and touch on anyone that stood out that, uh, that we missed kind of in this, the more bottom tier of free agency. How's that sound? Let's do it. Alrighty. So it's going to go back to point guard and just run through the very bottom. And I'll also mention players that are unsigned. Just, just as, uh, you know, if we think that maybe they could help the Kings or, uh, just, just guys to mention that are unsigned. Um, Trey Burke doesn't have a contract. Jeremy Lin doesn't have a contract. Uh, and Jerry and Grant is another guy, but, you know, on the very lower end there. And then, uh, you know, Isaiah went for a minimum. Didn't surprise me, but I kind of hedged with a little bit of a higher deal there. Uh, pretty much got everyone else right there. Um, we mentioned we went back and touched on Ellington. I feel like is an overpay. Seth Curry surprises me a little bit. I think he got a four-year deal yeah. at around $8 million. That That feels high to me. Yeah, it was notable. I think that Dallas had a lot of money to spend, though, um, and it was one of those situations where it, it's a little bit of shooting. I think that he's nice next to Doncic. Maybe he can guard the ones a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it's a little high, and the length is questionable. It's going to be the longest contract that Curry has seen, but I don't hate it. Yeah, fair enough. And then Justin Holiday, Kyle Korver, Eamon Shumpert, and Tyler Dorsey do not have contracts at shooting guard. So those are guys to keep an eye on. Yeah. Uh, over in small forward world, uh, there was a great bargain that we didn't mention. And uh, that's James Ennis, who went for less than $2 million to back to Philly. Yeah. Uh, I thought, you know, we both liked him quite a bit at small forward for around $5 million. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those just three and D guys that does what you want. Um, he's a little bit older and slowing down a bit, but he can still give you valuable minutes. Philly really needed the depth. Another guy that I thought was a nice deal was Damari Carroll going to the Spurs for two years, 16 million. I think it's right about his value. Uh, but it's another one of those three and D veteran guys. And I think he's going to fit well in under Popovich. Definitely. And what's interesting is, you know, the small forward position is very thin. Generally, there's, it's very hard to find even a decent small forward, uh, on the market. Once the year starts, basically no one can play small forward, uh, that is still available. You can't really sign those guys out of the G League. They generally don't hold up. There's the rare exception every now and then, but there's a ton of small forwards still out there. I tweeted this out earlier I'll, I'll slap a retweet on it from the king's pulse account but there's a ton and and that's the position we've identified as the kings maybe wanted to add one more player from so just looking at this list got Corey brewer vince carter thabo cephalosha lance stevenson wayne selden david nwaba uh, and then there's other uh lower tiered guys we got i mean luau dang could help somebody Wilson, uh, Wilson Chandler's gone, but Furkan Korkamaz, Justin Anderson, 
Timothy Luel Cabarro. Uh, there's just dudes out there at this position. Sean Livingston, you could argue, can play the wing. Uh, just got added with that uh, being waived by Golden State. There, there's some options out there. Yeah, and you mentioned it at the top. I mean, Corey Brewer, you've been you've been a big fan of for good reason. I would gladly take him back, and I would argue that we almost need a shooting guard. Even we've said this recently that it's kind of funny to hear because when we did our free agency, it was like, you know, this was the position of least need, but now I do kind of feel like we could use a third shooting guard and, uh, Corey Brewer fits that kind of, of just being a wing that can play that two slash three. Um, I definitely have an interest in talking a conversation with him to keep him in Sacramento. No, you make a great point about, uh, you need that two, three wing. That's, you know, I don't think that we're ready for Justin James or Kyle Guy quite yet to play real minutes. And if there were, you know, God forbid a, an injury situation with Buddy, Bogey, Barnes, or Reza, we're actually kind of thin there. Those are our only four guys. And there is one more roster spot available. It does make sense that the Kings would look there. Uh, and then, you know, you could always, Wave Swanigan and, and even add another one. So, uh, a few more names here, just digging even deeper. Looking Bob Mute is a guy that is, I mean, he's a real contributor. Uh, Jonathan Simmons. So there, there's some folks out there. And even, uh, you know, even in the G League, I think that we heard from Nate Miller over, uh, one of our guys, one of our, uh, draft guys that, uh, Hollis Thompson from the the team in Las Vegas right now he could he could make the squad. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind at all. I think that he's played decent. He has some NBA experience to him. Um, do you do you still want to go through? Did you get through centers and maybe power forwards here, or do you want to maybe close up with what we think about the Sacramento contracts overall? I'll touch on a couple uh, bigs, and then we can roll out. Um, Alfarik Aminu, I thought was one of the worst contracts as well uh, of the ones we didn't mention. That's a rough contract, in my opinion, yeah. to give him about ten. Was it ten million over? Is it across? Three yeah, it's years? three years, twenty nine million. And I, I mean, it is an overpay, but I don't necessarily hate it. Like I thought that uh, there were some teams that really could have used that sort of stretchy wing that. I guess can kind of be the one to guard maybe your Paul George-ish, but doesn't have shooting to him. Just for Orlando specifically, it made yes. no sense to me. It, it, there's so many bigs. That's exactly what I was going to go with as well. Um, I mean, I, he's not – I don't know that he's even – you could even put him at the three anymore. I, I Yeah, I'm just looking it up now. Uh, basketball reference – has him didn't play a minute at the three last year, uh, only played 3% of his minutes at the three the year before that, and not a single minute at the three before that. So he's been, uh, you know, a forward, he's been a power forward, uh, for years and years and years. So he's, yeah, he's in that, uh, mix with Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon and, <laughs> Uh, I mean, they just have so many big men. Obviously, Vucevic and Bamba at center. I don't see where he's getting any playing time. They can 
they can play him at the three, I guess, but he's not, he's not guarding any of the quicker threes. He, no. he can stand there, I guess. And he fits, he, can, he fits their style, I guess, of yeah. defensive guys that can't really shoot, but the need was a point guard, you know, and to spend this money, especially like we said, I mean, there was that Derrick Rose contract. They need offense. They need a playmaker, a shot creator. Derrick Rose is exactly that. If, they would offer him a two-year, $20 million contract. That in place, this Alpha Rukaminu, I feel like their roster looks so much more complete. Oh, my God. Absolutely. If they had given – I mean, give Rose the 329. That's yeah. That would make a lot more sense. And that's kind of – you know, looking at this this whole ex- ex- exercise we did, this is kind of what I, I'm taking away. That's, a, that's a, an awesome observation right there. And that would make this whole thing make more sense to me. And that's what tells me this is kind of off where, yeah, I mean, Aminu, you know, it, that would knock Aminu down to, I think that he really is more of a $5 million guy. It would push Rose up into the $10 million range. It, it makes more sense to me. And yeah, for the love of God, just sign a guard, <laughs> Orlando. Sign one guard. It's the faith in Fultz. It has to be. It has to be, right? Which is just blind. It makes no sense. It's it's the it's the DJ Augustin show forever in Orlando. <laughs> he hit the game winner, and they instantly knew. All right, I guess we can't sign a point guard. It's our guy. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, they, their thing is just like we want long dudes. We want dudes that are six nine and above only. So I I don't know. I, I don't think that those types of strategies ever really work out. But no. yeah, fair enough. I guess in the East, these are the luxuries you have. You can just have some weird policy and and still make the seven seed. Yeah, and they're kind of just going to be stuck in that six to eight range probably. But, I mean, looking at the Sacramento contracts, I thought that the gist of it is, like we said, they overpaid a little bit for a good majority of the guys. Deadman is probably the best contract value deal. But uh, that little bit of the Sacramento tax, and if – you would have told me before the season that before the free agency period that these were the contracts that were going to happen. Um, and before I even knew everyone else's value around the league, I would have been very happy with this. I mean, our number one options were maybe bringing in Al Horford, Patrick Beverly, um, different guys like that. But landing on what a lot of our second or maybe third options were to fill in all these holes, like, uh, I'm just, I'm completely content with everything. I don't feel like anything's going to end up as a massive, terrible contract in any sort of way. They're all two, three years. Some would not, a lot of them non-guarantees on the end. Um, I just think Flade did a really good job. Yeah, I, I just, I'm really impressed. And for anyone out there that thinks that we're just giving lip service to the Kings here, go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast because it was before I was even fully on board. You had me on as a guest, the very first episode in in the feed, go back there, listen to it. You asked me, you know, how would I like to spend the money? And we came to the conclusion that we, we would rather split it up among three free agents, a point guard, a wing and a center. I think the number one center we talked about was Deadman. And then I think we had Beverly as 
you know, in that mix, just behind Bever- uh sorry, we had Beverly at the top of the point guard discussion and just yep. behind him, Corey Joseph. And then, you know, I think Ariza was a little bit lower down in that mix, but, you know, this is the blueprint that we specifically described in that first podcast about three months ago. And to think, you know, even at the time when we're discussing it, we felt like, yeah, this is what they should do, but there's no way they actually end up successfully doing this, right? Or, yeah, no, definitely not. But this, this happened. Yeah, it went exactly how you would hope. I like like you said, I mean, we were getting very ready for, like we said, this DeAndre Jordan contract. Uh, we talked about Jeremy Lin being potential as the backup point guard. Like it, it fit everything here. I, I could, I, I just keep saying it, but I could not be more satisfied with the way this went. And it's hard for people that didn't watch Sacramento a lot, which is understandable. I mean, they're an insanely exciting team. Uh, I was going to say, if you haven't, then watch, but why would you be listening to this if you haven't? Um, it, it, it fit everything that they needed. So, you know, if you're looking at it from an outside point of view, maybe, yeah, they are some overpace, but getting exactly what you need, there's something to be said about that. Absolutely. Uh, I'm thrilled about it. I'm absolutely thrilled. Yep. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Uh, in a couple days here, we will have a summer league recap with a friend of ours that was at the Vegas Summer League. Talk about Kyle Guy, Justin James, Wendy and Gabriel, and all of that good stuff. So stay tuned for that in the next couple of days here. And be sure to follow us on social media at Kings underscore Pulse. The same username for Instagram there. We're throwing up graphics, interacting with people. You can ask us questions in our Reddit Q&A thread on reddit.com slash r slash kings. Pinned to the top there, we will ask answer questions every week. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you to everybody for listening. Hear from us again in a couple days. Make summer memories in Hampton. Visit the Virginia Air and Space Science Center. Discover 400 years of history at Fort Monroe and explore our wide open beaches. Purchase your Sea to Stars ticket and plan your trip today at visithampton.com.